song and movies and, and books and films uh, to say, say something about love, but when all you put it all together and you see the broad spectrum of it, it helps us realize how large and how broad this really is. So if we're to see the church, and by that I mean seeing ourselves, if we're to see the church as a present and important value, we have to point directly and draw directly from the love of God. I'm meeting seeing the love that God has shown. When we can understand what God has done, for that's what Romans 5 reminds us, God demonstrated his love. Verse 8, when we see what God has done, the love that he has shown, we can begin to grasp that understanding. Then we can begin to invest ourselves more fully into what that really means. When we don't fully understand it, yet we are growing and drawing closer and closer to it as we move. I look at the church, and I love the church. I love what we do. I love why we do it. I love understanding that. I love growing in it. And I hope you do too. I love the unique nature of the church that stands out in any society, any time, any place. It's not just run-of-the-mill. It's unique. But yet there are people who despise the church. And I think two things bring that despising attitude toward the church. One is selfishness, and the other is ignorance. I think when we don't understand something, we are not drawn to it. And when people are ignorant of the church and ignorant of what it stands for, they'll make up things about it, say things about it, criticize it harshly. You can go online and find all kinds of chats and discussions about how horrible and ugly the church is. What they're talking about is sometimes there are people within it who are horrible and ugly. That's true. But more often they're talking about something they don't even yet understand. I think when they understand it and why it is what it is, if you have any concept of God at all, it's there. But the other reason would just be plain selfishness. I just don't want to. I just don't want to do what God wants. I don't want to love God's people. I don't want to love God. I just want to love me. That's selfishness at its heart. But when you see the church, it has a beauty. It has a beauty and a depth that is far more worthy of our investment than we, even at this moment, probably fully understand. And so it is a draw to love what God has loved because, as I said, the church was born out of love. When born out of love, when born out of love, it takes on something because love in that four-letter word carries far, far more than we often credit it because love is more than just desire. It's more than just recognizing something and being, being entranced by it. Too many marriages fall apart because people were only drawn together by superficial concepts, and they never grow in that. It's just a desire, an innate, a hormonal, if you will, desire. And these desires, when we think about it, desire can go in any direction it wants to go. It can take you off in anything. You can desire this, desire that, desire whatever. You put, a, put the list out there, and you understand what I'm saying. And some of those are going to be unhealthy. In fact, James talks about that, doesn't he? He says, when you're tempted, you're drawn away of your own 
Many translations use the word lust. It's just desires. When you're drawn away of your own desires. And when it comes around and you apply it and becomes full-blown, it just leads you down the road to death. That's what he says. But desire, love is more than just desire. It's more than an infatuation, more than just a simple mind and heart appreciation. It is about something bigger. And love is more than just need. We have our needs, and we recognize those. We need food. We need water. We need other things in our lives. We, we need warmth and shelter and, and all of those things. We need the things that we can consume in our lives. But you know what? We don't love consuming. Because consuming means it's there and it's gone. You can say, boy, I love that dinner. That was great. And that's a use of the term we often say, that was a great meal. I love eating pot roast on Sunday turkey at Thanksgiving or whatever it might be. I love me a good chicken fried steak and some mashed potatoes and gravy and that's not on my diet right now. That hurts. We can say we love it. What we're saying is I appreciate it. I appreciate the taste of it and it makes me feel good when I eat it until later. But it makes there is a need to eat. We can, we can love in a sense but it's not the same is it? That's a very limited concept. When we talk about real love, we're talking about something broader because it's more than desire and it's more than need and it's more than obligation. And you may not think obligation fits into it, but obligation may arise from love, but it is not a substitute for it. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. There are things we do because we love, and there's an obligation that arises out of it, but we don't love because of obligation. Now, we may need to recognize our obligations and say, you know, I should learn about loving that. Sometimes in marriages, maybe even rearing children into families or work or whatever it might be. Sometimes an obligation puts us in a position, but it doesn't necessarily make us love something. You may be obligated to go to work every day. What a bummer that is. But does it make you love it? That's not the way it works. So love is more than obligation. And it's more than just custom or expectation. You know, the world around us may say this is the way it's supposed to be. And I know that seems to be an ever-changing thing. But it may say this is the way things are supposed to be. But do we, do we love because of customer obligation? We may do things kind of like obligation. We may do them because that's the custom. We may do them because there is a certain expectation out there. But it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to love it. The pressure of culture and peers may force us to do something. But it doesn't necessarily mean... We want to, or we love it. That's obvious when you watch people driving every day. The laws and the culture may say, you got to drive like this, but how many of them are doing it? Making a little fun with it, but you understand what I'm saying, don't you? Because love is encompassing. It's larger than that. It's larger than these things. Anyone can say they love you or this or that or somebody else, but remember what Jesus said, these people, they honor me with their mouths, praise me with their lips. But quoting from Isaiah, he says, their hearts, their hearts are far from me, Matthew 15, 8. And John's encouragement to us is this don't just love in word, in tongue, but in deed, 
truth. Because love is encompassing. It's not by accident that when Jesus is asked the first and greatest commandment, it is to love in an encompassing way. What did he say? You're to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. It's encompassing as he draws upon that when the question is put to him. And if you add the instruction from Peter that we are to love the brotherhood, it brings it more back to the point. 1 Peter 2, 17. It brings it more back to the point. You didn't, did you ever notice that you were commanded to love the people that are right here? You've got to love them. Sometimes that's hard, but that's, you add that in there. We're talking about the church. We're talking about Christians. We're talking about life. We're talking about existence. Because when we recognize this and we put it into practice, we recognize that love identifies, it explains, and it proclaims the things that have value to us. If you want proof, consider God's love for us. Again, it goes back to Romans 5, 8, but go even further. The most familiar passage probably in all the Bible for God so loved the world. You know that one, don't you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Add into it the next verse as well. But God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Read the rest of it. But that the world through him, this is his love for us, but the world through him might be saved. Consider God's love for us. That demonstrated love of Romans 5, 8. While we were still sinners, he says, Christ died for us. If we love the Lord, if we love the Lord, we will love his church. If you don't love his church, you don't love the Lord. If we love the Lord, we will love his church for all that it is and for all the people who are a part of it, flawed and special and all of that. But where do we go with this? Where do we go with this? How do we, how do we show our love then for the church and for one another? What we have to determine, what we have to determine is that our love, and this is important, this highlight note, put this one down there, put it, out there, bold letters. We must determine that our love for the Lord, for his church, and even for the individual people. Did you catch that? Even the individual people. Not just the collective group, the individual people. Is not a matter of convenience. In other words, it's not just something, if it's, if it's easy, I do it, or if it's not aggravating, I'll do it. If, I love them anyway. I've often thought about when, the children come into a, when children come into a family, you don't know what you're going to get. I don't care whether you adopt them, I don't know whether you, you foster them, or they're just born to you. Unfortunately, when they're born to you, they tend to take on a lot of your genetics, And then we find out that they act just like we do from the culture we bring them up in, and we don't always like the way they behave, but we love them anyway, and aren't we fortunate? Jesus said, if any would come after me, what did he say? 
just love me and feel good. No. If any would come after me, what did he say? Verse 24, Matthew 16. Let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. Isn't that the very heart of doing away with a matter of convenience? It goes on to say, if you'd save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, my my sake, you'll save it. Jesus was addressing the concept of placing other things over the kingdom of God and his righteousness when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, there is a priority here. Don't let other things get in the way of God. Don't let other things supersede the church. Don't let other things get into your life that take you further from God and his church. Don't let them in your life. If they're trying to get there, put them in the place they belong. Too many things have taken priority of the Lord and His church. I'm not just talking about the assembly. That plies into it. But I'm talking about a love of what it is and who it is and who it belongs to. Paul's admonition to choosing the benefit of what you can be for others over personal preference was applied to his own life. He said to depart and be with the Lord is far better. Philippians 1. But he said to stay and help you is more needful for your benefit. But the benefit of others and of the church above your desires, above what you want, above your ambitions in life, let that be your ambition. And of course, as I said, we've got the greatest example to motivate us. The church was born of the love of God and shown to us through the love that Jesus, Jesus showed in his life. And those great two passages in John 3 and Romans 5 just stand out and remind us. So what do we do? So what do you do? Let me, let me offer you a few thoughts, you know? Let me offer you just a few thoughts here, and I think it, it will help, because you might be saying, okay, you got to go to church every Sunday. That's not where we're going to go. Listen to this. Here are the actions you can undertake. Number one, you want, you want to show your love for God, for Christ, the church, the people. Number one, begin. Begin Every day, ask God what he wants from you every single day. God, what do you want from me today? Ask that question of yourself to seek what he wants. We can go back to the Old Testament prophet Micah. And Micah brings out, what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God, or some other translations very close to that. Look at the implications of those things. Look at what that means in your life. To do the right things, to act appropriately. To love generating things for other people and benefit to other people. And to make sure you're in line with what God would want in your life. Ask what God wants from you every single day. Number two, connect with the Lord and the church. Even the book of Hebrews brings, out that, brings that out in the 10th chapter. We've got all this going. Don't push yourself. Don't separate yourself from the other Christians. Don't push yourself away from seeing what we've got. He said, let us draw near. Connect with the Lord and the church. 
We need to know each other. And I think we, we strive at that in pockets, but it belongs to all of us. Connect with the Lord in His church. Yes, that does mean we need to be together to worship. Yes, that means we need to get together and study together. Yes, that means we need to have fellowship with one another. I don't know all the ups and downs and ins and outs of every part of it, but I know it means we need to draw close together and be a part of one another and one another's lives. Number three, focus. Focus on the good that you can be for others. And I'll give you an example there. I put it in there. Remember Dorcas or Tabitha? Dorcas? You read briefly about her, and Peter raised her from the dead. Of course, the Lord did it, but through Peter, raised her from the dead. But you remember as Peter gets there, what was going on? All these widows and others were around there, and what were they doing? They were showing all this stuff that Dorcas had done for them in her life. She was a benevolent, caring loving woman seeking what she could do for others that's all we know about her but we know that about her in the scriptures and there are other admonitions along the way to do to teach of that very thing seeing we're encompassed by so great a company of witnesses in other words these are motivators be a motivator to others to be that we might run our race. Seeing where it comes about so great a company of witnesses, let us lay aside our weight and sin and run with perseverance the race that is set before us. In other words, we've got others. Be the others in this case, motivating others along the way. Be like Barnabas, so named by the apostles because he was an encourager in the things that he did. And so many of those people were selling property, giving things to benefit somebody who was particularly in need. Find the way to be that kind of blessing. Focus on the good you can do for others. And then number four, find the blessing. Don't just find the work, find the blessing that Jesus promised. Sometimes all we find is the work. Say, oh, I've got to go do that. I've got to go take care of that. And I've been guilty. Boy, I gripe sometimes when people are needing something or wanting something. Not you, of course. It was just my family. But uh, sometimes don't we, we gripe. Oh, somebody needs this. Somebody needs that. We get that way sometimes because we're tired, because we're busy, and we've got things going on in our lives. And sometimes we think, oh, man, somebody needs something. That's not the attitude. Look for the blessing in it. And while we don't have it literally stated out of his mouth that we can quote him, we can quote Peter quoting him. We can quote him being quoted. Is more blessed to give than to receive. Find the blessing that Jesus promises. You haven't given up anything, but what you'll be given many times over, a family and houses and so forth, as he was asked of his disciples in Matthew 19, Lord, what then shall we have? Well, you're going to be given so much more. Good. Hebrews 12, as I said before, are Paul's words in Timothy when he talks about that crown of life that is waiting for him. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Go back a little bit earlier, verse 6. I'm being poured out like a drink offering on an altar. He says, but I fought that good fight. I kept, uh, finished the course, kept the faith. What does he say? There is laid up for me. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me in that day. But not to me only, he says. Not to me only. But to all those who have loved his appearing, Find the blessing that Jesus promised and hold on to it. 
I think we already know these things. Because consider how we show love in our common relationships with, with others. How we show our, our love with friends, our spouses, husbands, and wives, our children. We know and we understand those, those parameters. The question is, why do we do it? And that's what the heart of this really is. They're worth it. And we love them. I know life can be full and complicated. You can fill it up with everything under the sun, all the activities, all the ambitions you got in life. You can fill it up with all those things if you want. It can be very complicated. But what is important to us will always, will always rise to the top. Whatever, good or bad, it may be. But if you look at this, the Lord and His church, His people, have a place at the very top. And that's exactly the way it should be. Just up to you to decide whether it really is or not. This morning we'll sing again a song of encouragement and invitation. If there's someone who's considered the need in your life,